In order to ensure our survival, the brain's very elegant response to distress or threats has taken three forms, freeze, flight, and fight. Like other animal species whose limbic brains protected them in this manner, humans possessing these limbic reactions survived to propagate because these behaviors were already hardwired into our nervous system. Neil, good morning. Morning. This is, uh, <laughs> this is of course, another awesome episode of Made You Think. Every episode is awesome. Every episode is awesome. Or you guys just don't hear the ones that are not so awesome. Those are in our, <laughs> those are our discard pile. <laughs> we're, we're actually reading a book every day and recording an episode yeah. every day, Ty Lopez style. And uh, we only, you know, we only let one in seven surface. Yeah. That's how we make sure they're all good. Uh, mm-hmm. No, but this is a book I think you have been telling me about for a while. It came up on a couple of the other episodes. Or maybe not in the episodes, but maybe in the bonus material. Somewhere. Uh, yeah. We were definitely talking about this book. Talk about it somewhere. Yeah. And it has been on my want to read list on Goodreads for like probably two years or so. <laughs> the book that we're referring to is What Everybody is Saying by Joe Navarro. Is it Navarro or Navarro? Navarro. Probably Navarro. It's two R's. It is too. We should really look up the pronunciation of the names. <laughs> we do this every Sorry, episode. Joe. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> but yeah, but basically the book, as you may have gathered from the intro quote, is um, looking at kind of how the human body reacts to stress and then using that to figure out, you know, if somebody lying to you or are they, you know, engaging in evasive behavior of some sort. Right. Um, or even just, it's just reading people. Better understanding someone's emotional and mental state yeah. based on their body language. Yeah. Uh, I read the book in college because I was really interested in public speaking oh, and really? trying to get better at that. And this book was recommended to me as a good resource on improving your own body language in speaking, because there's a lot in here that you can kind of repurpose to, you know, coming off as more confident yep. and being more persuasive and like using a lot of the body language techniques in the book to your own advantage, as well as using them in the way that he's intending, which is being able to read other people. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I think part of that's based on his background. Yeah. So he was an FBI agent, I want to say for like 25 years. Long time. Uh, or yeah. So, yeah. And so a lot of his examples are based on like cases or when he's like interrogating somebody. It's really cool how like these tactics were used to kind of like figure out what was suspicious or not. So like a good example that is kind of sticking out in my head is um, when they were showing this uh, one of the suspects, the names and trying to figure out who the accomplices were and showed them like 25 different names. And of course, the suspect denied knowing any of them. Right. I was like, oh, I don't know that person. I don't know that person. But uh, I think the pupils dilated when they saw the two names that they did recognize and then they knew who they needed to go look for was those two people just based on that. And he even said the suspect to this day doesn't know how they figured out the two accomplices. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of cool stories like that yeah. in there. He's basically got one for every section and every kind of aspect of body language that he touches on, which is yeah. impressive. Yeah. How you can see how this influenced his whole career because it sounded like his job was primarily to go in and try to get information from witnesses or suspects yeah. based on you know just interviewing. And he has just, I think there's something like 70 or 80 stories in yeah. the book because he does them in these little one or two paragraphs which snippets. I love these little like case yeah. study ish type of they're really examples. quick digestible and it, the whole book is really digestible it's yeah. great yeah I mean you could probably read it in a few days you know it doesn't I mean it's not too intense it's like not like uh, Darwin's Dangerous Idea or yeah. GEB or anything well like and that. it's very skimmable yes and it's broken down in a very linear systematic way where you can kind of hop through learn about the different you know how different body parts affect 
your nonverbal communication and you know what signs to look for for each of them. Yeah, the other thing I thought he did a really, really nice job of was setting sort of the uh, the foundation for why these behaviors actually indicate what they indicate. Yeah, and he uses like evolution a lot of times as like well, not a lot of times, all the time as his sort of context for why we have these behaviors. And these behaviors are sort of involuntary because they derive from the limbic system as opposed to your prefrontal cortex. Yeah, the, the way he explains all of them, they make sense, right? You wouldn't necessarily intuit them, but you can like back intuit it. Right? When, when he explains, like, okay, yeah. That, but he that does it in a very sense. understandable way. Like he doesn't right. dive so far into like evolutionary history, but he does enough where you're not like, okay, well, this is like hocus pocus, like correlation does not equal causation kind of thing, which he does give a lot of uh, caveats to his rules as well. Like where he'll say like sweaty palms, for example, are not really not really an indication that someone's lying. It could just be somebody just has sweaty palms. Right. I mean, I've, I've got a friend who just has chronically sweaty hands. Right. And he just they're always sweaty. Right. right? Like you can't do anything about that. Yep. And so that doesn't mean that he's always lying. Right. Exactly. How his yeah. hands are. Right. And that's why a lot of those caveats that you were talking about are what I feel like make the book more interesting and more believable. Absolutely. Yep. In that he really stresses that a nobody can can really detect lies, like right. including him. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much everyone is no better than chance. But what you can detect is discomfort. And discomfort might lead you to finding a lie or a half truth or information not being shared. Yep. But it's really a myth that he's a human lie detector. Right. Or exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or he said sometimes people are just nervous too. So yeah. like understanding. So um it seemed and obviously I don't want to like read too much into him, but like it seemed like he uses these tactics as a way to figure out where to dig further mm-hmm. as a opposed to saying that this is 100% true or not true, right? Like he's using it as like, okay, maybe there's something to look into here as opposed to like saying, oh, I've uncovered the lie. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, so yeah. definitively. Well, and he's got a lot of good examples of that where it's, what's that TV show? There's a TV show called Lie to Me where it's almost seems like it's loosely based off of Joe Navarro. Oh, wow. Where the actor or the, the lead character, you know, reads body language and then can tell when people are lying. But I think he, he like calls them out to their faces like, you're lying, <laughs> right? Uh, and it's complete bullshit, right? Well, it's a TV show, it's so TV it's got to be yeah. entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it can, you know, contrast it to that in the book, in the examples uh, Navarro is talking about, he, like you said, he just probes deeper on certain things. So there was another example of, what was it where he was looking for this woman's son and every time he asked the woman if the son was home she would what would she do was she like eye blocking i can't remember exactly which tell she was giving yeah but I know she what would, you're talking about she yeah. did it two or three times and but what he would do is he would he would ask he would see her give that sign of discomfort and then he would go ask some other questions and then he'd ask again about the son being home and she'd do this she'd do, the she'd do it again yeah and that's what he really stresses is looking for those changes yes right yep. It's if somebody is perpetually, you know, crossing their arms, that doesn't tell you anything right. because it means they're probably just uncomfortable. Right. But if they're being normal and then they're doing something like crossing their arms or stroking their face or touching their neck, when you ask about certain things, that's a sign that that area is making them uncomfortable. Right. Right. Yeah. It's about these changes as opposed to like these things in isolation. But yeah, he kind of reminded me in a lot of ways of uh, or his, I guess, thought process and mentality reminded me in a lot of ways of the Elon Musk episode Mm. that we had done, like the how to think like a scientist. Yeah, because he wasn't sort of like trying to use rules and use things dogmatically. He was sort of trying to like uncover the truth. Right. So he'd be like, oh, they, you know, like, that's interesting. She used the eye blocking technique when or not technique, but uh, behavior. behavior exhibited that behavior when I mentioned that thing. 
let me try a few other things and see if she does the same behavior, right? It's not like he's like, oh, she's lying automatically because she did it one time. Yeah. Yeah, I just found the, the mentality he brought to it to be pretty cool. And he's got a lot of good guidelines on that. And the book is broken out in these main sections where the intro is really about sort of the commandments, as he calls them, of reading people's body language. And then he goes into all the things we do to pacify ourselves then he goes through the whole body, yeah. pretty much, yep. from all head to toe, all the different behaviors that we do at each level to signify discomfort and comfort. So you have this repertoire of things you can look through. And then at the end, he really wraps up talking about deception and lying, right. which is probably what we were talking about before. One of the more interesting parts, how you really can't detect lies or deception. You can only watch for these behaviors and then probe deeper based on you know what you're seeing in people's body language. Yeah. So he's got some interesting commandments in the beginning when he's talking about what you need to do. We've already covered some of them. Uh, the context one is really big. You have to look at the behaviors in the context that they're occurring. I think one example he gives later is that if somebody's arms are crossed and they're not moving, but it's a really cold room, they might just be cold. Right. Right. But <laughs> Whereas um, then he gave that other example where he was interrogating that young man he, he was saying with his father in the room and right. him, they had the AC was completely off. Neither the father or the interrogator were cold. But the guy kept complaining that he was cold. Yeah, the son kept complaining he was cold and he kept holding the pillow across right. his chest, yep. right? So he was exhibiting or like something about being cold happy or we feel cold when we're uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. And yeah. we exhibit behaviors that warm us up sometimes when we feel discomfort. And so that kind of gave him something to probe more on. Yeah. Uh, the idiosyncratic behaviors, that was I thought was another cool yeah. one, where he basically is saying that you can see people act contrary to what they're saying. So they might say, no, I didn't do that, but they could nod their head as they're saying it, which yeah. where their body is literally contradicting what they're saying. Right. And it's a very subtle cue that they might be lying or not being completely truthful in what they're doing. Or he gave another example of somebody talking about where they went the night of a murder and they said that they went right, yes. but they used their left hand to gesture. Yep. And to the left was in the direction of the crime scene. Right. Right. And so that gave Navarro something to dig deeper on because then it seemed like, okay, there's this idiosyncratic behavior. It doesn't line up. And I think that person ended up being guilty or at least being yeah. involved. Or right? being like yeah. an accomplice or something. Yeah. Yep. The... Commandment five, we talked about a little bit, establishing baseline behaviors. If somebody just loves having their hands in their pockets or having their arms crossed, then it, you doesn't, can't, it doesn't mean that they're being dishonest yes, or deceptive, exactly. right? They're probably just comfortable doing that. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, um, I like how you kind of, he starts with the baseline, right? It's like, you have to figure out what the baseline is. Like maybe somebody's always touching their hair, mm -hmm. right? It's not, doesn't actually indicate anything. But if somebody never touches their hair and then you say something and then they touch their hair, could be could an indication be. that there's some discomfort. I've got one of those where I do a weird thing with my eyes and I don't notice that I do it, but they'll kind of like shoot up and to the left and back down really quickly. Your eyes? Yeah. And it, it looks like a really subtle eye roll and <laughs> I have no idea that I do it. And me and everyone who's ever noticed it cannot figure out why and when it happens. <laughs> it just like happens for some reason. I'm going to watch for it now. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is when I point it out to people, then they start to notice it. Okay. Uh, my theory is that it's just contacts being dry and like my eyes remoisturizing. But I've seen people get like a look on their face like where I'll do it recently when we've met and they're like, did this guy just like roll his fucking eyes at me? Right? <laughs> and I'm like, I have to call it out. I'm like, wait, did, did like my eyes do the thing? Right. But you can imagine how in, in a situation like this, right. It, without the context of that baseline, it would seem like 
bad or shady or whatever. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's you got to get the baseline for what's normal for that. If you ever meet the author of this book, you should let him know. Yeah. <laughs> like my eyes do this thing. It's not that I'm lying. <laughs> I don't think. But. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me, I uh, I never knew. I never realized it until my parents mentioned it once mm-hmm. where they were like, oh, every time you start to get sleepy, you're like, you run your hands through your hair. And apparently I've been, when I was a baby, I used to like pull my hair when I would get sleepy. Like I'd pull at it. And they were like, it's just something weird that you do, whatever. Like, we can tell when you're getting tired or you're like really bored because you'll just start like touching your hair. Huh. <laughs> and interesting. I, I never knew that. Like, I yeah. would never realize that. It's just something my hands would just start doing. It'd probably just be my hands were bored. So they wanted, like, my brain was not occupied by whatever I was doing. Right. And with a slight ADD <laughs> tendency that I have, my body would be like, oh, I guess I could just pull on this Play now. My hair <laughs> yeah. <or> something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. And I'm sure there's like tons that we don't know that we do oh, yeah. about ourselves. So yeah, yeah the other one I did like uh, a lot, well, all these are good, but number six, which was always try to watch people for multiple tells, mm-hmm. like the clustering of the different behaviors. Cause he's like, you know, one, maybe in isolation is not enough to tell you what's actually happening. But if you start seeing a bunch of different, you know, uh, evasive behaviors start to happen, you might be onto something. Yeah. Cause they could just have like an itchy nose. Right. right. And exactly. So yeah. Scratching their nose doesn't mean that they're n- uncomfortable. But yeah. if they're doing that while squinting their eyes and closing off their chest a little bit, then that's a sign that, OK, yeah, there's some discomfort here. Yeah. So you have to look for them in clusters. Yeah. And I think even um, even before diving more into these, I found it just to be like he didn't go as much into detail in the book that I would have, you know, like my curiosity is kind of going into. But he gave lots of suggestions for further reading. But just how. Like, language is a fairly new thing, evolutionarily. Like, what, how long have humans been writing is only 10,000 years? Not most? Not even? 5,000? Well, I guess, yeah, I guess it depends on what we mean by writing. Writing in some form, I think, is what? Or representational writing. Like, I guess the caves, what were the caves in France? Well, yeah, that's sort of what I mean. It's like, are we talking pictographs? Yeah, pictographs is fine. Oh, yeah, pictographs, I think that's real. 30,000 years? Something like that? No, but still, 30,000 years is not that long. That's true. Verbal communication hundred maybe maybe yeah like with, uh, again with it actual, depends what we mean by verbal communication right exactly right? Like, like grunts okay then animals do that too yeah like um, some form of primitive language right like i, I guess know. we don't really know yeah. but even let's call how old are humans like what two million depending on when you start so let's counting say, let's say we were it's not even possible right that we yeah. were, had formal language two million years ago but let's just say it was two million years mm-hmm. it's still a blip on the evolutionary radar right and many especially mammals are very social creatures not just mammals i mean other creatures are as well mm-hmm. so there is this need to communicate what you're feeling and observe what other creatures i guess around you are feeling so it had to be nonverbal. Yeah. Because there wasn't a formal language. Yeah. And it's really cool how we all still can pick up on a lot of this stuff. Like you don't need to teach a baby that like a smile means happy. Yeah. They like just the baby it. just does it too. Like it's just an instinct. Right. Super cool when you really start to think about it. Well, and you can see it in other animals too. That's yeah. what I always find is really interesting is, you know, obviously like when you're hanging out with a dog, yep. you can tell when that dog is happy, excited, yep. all of that. It's really easy to read their body language. And the dog can read you in some ways too. Oh yeah. Which is really cool. Well, they can tell when you're sad or angry or happy or yeah. like all of that. They're yep. pretty insightful about it as well. So yeah, that's I guess that's where a lot of this stuff in the book comes in is that the language is so new compared to the underlying representations of 
emotions and how limited the language based representations of these emotions actually is like so relative to the total scope of possible emotions Mm -hmm. the words that we have for those emotions are actually much fewer for those like happy is not just happy like there are many different kinds of happy right like i mean i'm sure you felt that too in your life like there's some there's like yeah we have different words like joy and elated and you know ecstatic and happy right there's like many different words for it but there's even a greater number of emotion states right that are in that category well there's that that whole i guess range of emotions and things it's kind of like way of zen right all these things that you know but that you can't describe you don't have words for (laughs) yep right it doesn't mean that you don't know them right it's it's just a different kind of that you can't pick up on them in others yeah that too you might still be able to pick up like an uneasy happiness in somebody right even though there's not really a word for that you can combine sets of words to maybe get approximate it but we can pick up on the on the emotions of others, even if we can't explicitly call out what that emotion is. Right. Just super cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And especially, I feel like a lot of it, too, we maybe can do on that sublingual level, but we don't give it as much credence or as much attention anymore because we're so focused on the verbal communication yeah. side. But what I like about this book and some of the other ones like it is that it it feels like it turns that part of your brain back on where as I was rereading it and, you know, over the last week and a half. Oh, yeah, because you'd read it before. Yeah, yeah, I'd forgotten a lot of this stuff. And now rereading it, I started picking up on it again. And it reminded me of when I first read it. And I was way more in tune with a lot of this stuff. Mm. And now I feel like I'm were you meditating more at that time? No, 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 this was before. Oh, you've, so you've read it for a long time then. You read it a long time ago. Yeah, I must have read it sophomore year of college. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Long time ago. Uh, but no, no, no. I just mean that I noticed it way more in other people back when I originally read it. Yeah. And now that I've reread it, I'm noticing it more. Right. Got like it. I yeah, had so it's more top of mind. It's more top of mind. Right. But those cues have always been there. And probably my subconscious observation of them has been there the whole time. But my conscious awareness of that observation. Right. Exactly. <laughs> only came back in rereading it. And that's where I feel like it's really useful is that we ignore a lot of those signals consciously, I think, because we're just focused on the language. But by reading a book like this, it turns that awareness back on where you kind of get conscious access to some of that awareness that you might be disregarding. And it's really useful. There's a book that he calls out a few times or like recommends a few times throughout this book Mm -hmm. by DeBecker, I want to say. The, the author, I don't forget what it's called, but it's basically like how you should listen to you, that uneasy feeling that you get sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it called? I don't know. It's basically... It's oh, like, the gift of fear. Yes, the gift of fear. There you yeah. go. Yes, that's the exact one. I find that like, uh, so kind of to your point, like we subconsciously are aware right. of a lot of these feelings, but consciously it doesn't really enter our brain. Have you ever had those feelings where like you meet somebody and your like logic is telling you that, oh, it's like worth doing business with this person or interacting with this person, mm-hmm. but then you like there's some sort of gut feeling you have that you're like something's off or shady about this person and you can't quite put your finger on it and like i don't know about you a lot of times i'll just listen to my logical part of my brain and be like oh yeah no it's like totally legit and then like you realize a few weeks later that like damn i probably shouldn't have done work with that person (laughs) yeah there's somebody i'm waiting on payment for right now not for unlimited brewing for some consulting project Uh which like I knew that I like had this feeling. I was like, this person is probably not going to pay me on time. Yeah. Like it just seemed like a little evasive about that. 
when I brought up the payment structure, like I was like half up front, half completion. Mm -hmm. And then something changed in the behavior, but it was before I read this book. Mm. I just had a little uneasy feeling about getting paid and I'm still waiting on that first payment. So (laughs) this is like three weeks ago. Uh, So yeah, I'm just like, I should have listened to that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I've had that experience too with potential clients, and but I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, right? and like It'll logically, okay. I'm like, this is a legit company. Like everything I see online about them is fine. Like, yeah, it's just. And I don't just know about you, but those feeling. feelings tend to end up being right. Yeah, I I don't remember a time where I've had that feeling and then I've ended up being wrong after. Yeah. But I have a lot of examples where I've had that feeling and ended up or later. Have, or you should have like listened to it. Yeah, or you should have listened to it, right? Like, oh, don't work with this person or, oh, you know, don't like spend time with this person or whatever. And it pretty much always ends up being right, but I still don't listen to it. Does the opposite happen to you too? Where I've had times where uh, like where you meet someone and there's no like immediate connection or like thing you should be working on with them. Mm-hmm. You just get a good feeling about that person. Yeah. And then you just become closer with them. It's just like you. Yeah. There's like probably a nonverbal cues again that are just giving you good vibes from somebody. Right. Some kind of immediate tribal association. Yeah. Likeness. And that, that's so that's the part where I feel like it's hard sometimes is that I know that sometimes I get those negative intuitions about people from purely tribal reasons. Oh, right. Like they're just different from you. Yeah. They're just different. That's a good point. And yeah, there might not be anything shady. Exactly. It's just they're just different. They're just different. Yeah. And that's, that's good, where point. I find it gets hard sometimes to distinguish between good intuitions and bad intuitions. Right. Like I, I gave this example to you before that I met a guy at a event and I'm going to be intentionally vague, but uh, <laughs> I, I met a guy at an event and my first impression was that he was just like hippy dippy yoga, like enthusiast, oh, yeah. um, you know, and like I, I kind of and like I feel bad saying this now, but I initially wrote him off like, OK, I'm not going to get along with this person. Yeah. Right. He's like a little too into like roaming around India barefoot and like <laughs> discovering himself. But then as the event went on, I eventually realized that he was like one of the most accomplished investors CEO entrepreneurial people I had like ever met, right? And just like incredibly smart, like really super interesting to talk to. One of the more interesting people I think I've ever met, but it was so off from that first impression, right? So then I have those experiences where it's not like a, maybe the difference is between something seems bad about working with this person and I don't think I'll get along with this person. Maybe the latter ones you get wrong more for tribal reasons, yeah, right? Because I realize as I'm saying this, I'm kind of contradicting what I said earlier that those negative impressions are usually right. But I think they're usually right in the don't work with this person way. But maybe the I won't get along with this person ones are less reliable for tribal ones. I wonder also if it's like, so even in that case, right, it was it was like your conscious brain agreed with your tribal brain, right? Like they had the same feeling like, oh, this person's like not really talking to very much. Yeah. Or I don't want to talk to this person very much. And it was in agreement. But those times where you get a negative feeling about somebody, but your conscious brain is telling you that this person's fine. Maybe when there's like a clash. Clash. Maybe it's a little, um, I don't know, want to say more accurate, but it's like worth paying more attention to. Well, he actually says that later on in the book. Yeah. Where he (laughs) says that you'll see contradictions and you should give weight to the negative one. Uh, If If somebody is doing a positive behavior or expression while also also doing a negative expression, you should go with the negative one. Mm. He gives the example of if somebody is being kind of like really enthusiastic in their face, right? So they look really happy to be seeing you and talking to you, but their feet are pointed towards the door. Yes. They're probably faking it on their facial level and they actually want to leave. Right. You should trust the negative cue from their feet more and than the positive said, cue from face. And he also said your face is the easy, is the most 
uh, likely to lie. Yeah. Because we've face- learned how to lie with our faces. Right, right. Yep. Facial cues are the least reliable. Yeah. Because people are great at faking their facial cues, but they're really bad at faking their arm and especially leg cues. Yeah. He actually says that the feet and legs are the most reliable the most indicators. Honest. Yeah. Because nobody thinks about faking what right. their feet and legs are doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's got the, the poker example in there that I really like where uh, he, I guess he was watching celebrity or he was watching, oh, you know, World yeah. Series of Poker or whatever. Yeah. And there was a guy who got Delta flush, I think like on the flop, right? Yeah. Like really early. Yep. And the guy's legs just started going crazy, yep. like bouncing up and but down, his face super was like happy, very face, totally stoic, yeah. right? No, no indication above the table <laughs> that he was happy at all. But then under the table, his legs are going nuts. There's no camera below the... Yeah, exactly. Right? I guess there is a camera, but there's no... But not you for can't the really players. See. Yeah. yeah. And so Navarro actually calls out, though, that if you watch people's shoulders... You can see when their feet start doing that because their shoulders will start to bounce and vibrate a little bit as well. It's super subtle, but you can watch for it. And if they start doing it in response to something, that's usually a sign that, you know, something really good just happened. Right. If if you if you give somebody a price quote and they start doing that, you might have priced too low. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You're playing poker and somebody's like start bouncing. They probably probably fold. (laughs) Or although now that we are like looking for these things and we both know that each of us have read the book, if we ever play poker together. Yeah. might be able to fake each other out. I was going to say, we can't do this with our friends anymore yeah. because you know that we're going to be like playing poker against a deal or somebody listening to this and, and he's, he's going to start bouncing it, his so. legs to fake us out. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be like, I had nothing, but it was just bouncing yeah, my just, legs just to mess with you guys. I was just really excited about bluffing on this. And then, yeah, after he goes through the rest of the commandments, he starts to jump into the kind of the core distinction or the, the core of all of these behaviors. And this is going back to what you said about first principles, this is a cool way he breaks it down. Yeah. Is that pretty much all of these behaviors come back to some iteration of freeze, flight, and fight. And he makes the distinction that that's actually the order that we do it in too, right? He's got this line in here. Uh, in reality, the way animals, including humans, react to danger occurs in the following order. Freeze, flight, fight. If the reaction were really fight or flight, most of us would be bruised, battered, and exhausted much of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it makes sense, too, because yeah. it's, yeah, like the most, it's the most energy efficient way to do it, too. Right. Start by freezing. If that doesn't work, run away. Yep. If you still can't run away, then you can fight. But fighting should be the last resort. Right. I mean, fighting is a bit of a gamble anyway, even if you are the bigger, stronger creature. Luck comes in in a lot of cases, right? Never know. They might have a weapon of some kind, a rock, yeah, or yeah. stick, or some kind. <laughs> <laughs> they discovered gunpowder first. Yeah, you're gonna have a bad time. Yep. But yeah, he, he's got a lot of good examples that point to, especially freeze being one of the core reactions, right? That when people are chastised, they hold really still. People who are being questioned about a crime will, he describes like fixing their feet into a locked, secure position. Yeah. And the strongest one seems to be when they hook their legs around the legs of the chair. Right. So if you see somebody, you know, their legs are down into the chair, like in between the legs, and then their feet are hooked around to the outside of it. So they're kind of hugging the, hugging the, the legs of the chair with their legs. Yep. That's a very strong freeze position to show that uh, Something they're uncomfortable. Wrong. Something's wrong. Yeah. yeah. Or and, <laughs> this is kind of like the sad part of the book i found was all this stuff about kids yeah because he talks a lot about abused children and bad households and i guess kids have much less experience hiding their body language and discomfort and so they show it way more and so he talks about how if you see children stiffen up around family members or relatives that's a sign that that person creates some discomfort in them yeah it says and he uses the phrase that they are hiding in the open Mm. it's like a tool of survival right for these kids yeah yeah that is really sad and then 
then the turtle effect was a good one. Yeah. So that was less for kids. That was more just for anyone. Well, I think that's when we start to get into the flight, right? The, the freezing and stiffening up is all the freeze that's iterations. True. Turtle and then, effect is more trying to hide. So yeah. I guess that's yeah, flight. You're yeah. trying to hide yourself. You're, yep. you're pulling your shoulders up to kind of like protect your neck, basically, right? To shrink away, hide yourself yeah. without even going anywhere. It's uh, interesting, too, because that's like if you think about dogs, like when dogs are fighting, they'll go for each other. Like if they're really trying to fight, they go for the neck. Go for the neck, yeah. yeah. <laughs> lions, too, Yeah, right? You see lions hunting. It's always yeah. just straight into the neck. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine, yeah, humans probably would, too. Or, or at least chimps. it's somewhere in the limbic. Yeah, it's so. somewhere down there yeah. that we know that that's a place to go that for. Or that's that we're, we're vulnerable there. So probably if, you know, if we were being hunted, right, we'd probably, like, the animal would probably go for our neck. Yeah. Right. So in some base instinctual level, we we know that we got to Like if we're feeling threatened, hunching and sort of making the neck disappear <laughs> is a strategy that may have worked in the, those types of environments. Yeah. And even a lot of fighting poses, right, for boxing yes. and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. You pull your shoulders up yep. a little bit. It yep. creates a more... A small neck. Like, yeah, smaller neck, smaller frame, protects your head a little bit more. Yep. And then, and that's where we're starting to get into those flight responses, right? Of, you know, and the, the turtle one is a good self-defense and kind of a getting away. And then some of the more obvious ones are like the leaning. Yeah. Which I thought was cool. Yeah. <laughs> how he says that people will lean away from people that they dislike and lean towards people they like. Yeah. And so it's almost like their body is trying to get away from this person without them actively like moving away from them. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you definitely see that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like once he called it out, I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. Like you, then you start seeing it in other places. Right. You yeah. see people do it. He says you can see for couples, especially right when there's problems, they lean away from each other. Yeah. Right. Or like families. almost like they're trying to create space between each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or, or families. Right. Family members leaning away from each other after disagreement uh, and, you know, conversely leaning towards people. Right. Where he says that if somebody's getting along and it's going really well, then they might lean into each other over the table or lean towards each other if they're sitting next to each other. Uh, and those are really strong cues of how comfortable they are with each other also just um this is not a tangent but it's sort of out of order mm -hmm. i loved all the illustrations and like photographs oh they're so the funny they're so good <laughs> too it like really gets the point across yeah obviously many times they're exaggerated <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they're very helpful they're very helpful yeah yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, obviously, you, you're listening to this in audio format, but, you know, we'll have, like, a link to the book in the show notes. And you should definitely get the book because just the photographs alone make it, you know, so much more digestible of all the different tactics and things that we're talking about. Yeah, there's got to be at least 80 photos throughout yeah, the book. definitely. Because he talks about every little iteration. This is a book where I truly felt like I got, like, the value of the book, for sure, yeah. out of it. Like, in just in terms of immediate takeaways... It was like, okay, yeah, you gave me the photos. You gave me this information in very digestible format. Like, it, you know, there's some books you feel like it could have been a blog post mm -hmm. or a couple blog posts. And you're like, yeah, they got a good publishing deal. So they did the book and it makes sense. But I don't know if I got $20 of value out of it. Right. Whereas like this one, I feel like I got way more than the $20 of value. Yeah, there's really no way they could have made it shorter. Right. Which is a hard thing to say. Or easier books. to understand. Yeah. It was just so like, I mean, it was a complex enough idea, but he brought it down to earth in a very like usable format. Right. And yeah. Like you said, just totally remembered that one because we were talking about some of these leaning away or like behaviors. And sometimes you read the part of that book, of the, like that chapter and you're like, okay, I kind of get it. Then you see the picture and you're like, okay, totally, totally understand. Totally clear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I found that was kind of funny for highlighting too. Yeah. Because he would explain something on, I guess, deeper level in a couple of paragraphs and I would highlight a couple of paragraphs, but then he would summarize it again in the little one sentence explanation for that behavior with the photo 
photo. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, wait, that explanation's way better. Like, go back and delete the other highlight. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because you could actually just go through the book like that if you wanted to. You could just yeah. go through, look at the photos, and read their captions, and that would give you a pretty deep understanding of a lot of these. Or not a deep understanding, but it'd give you a pretty, like, well-rounded understanding of a lot of the behaviors. Yeah. And you'd start to notice them more just from doing that, I imagine. Actually, that's probably what we're going to have to get into next is, for lack of a better way to do it, just running through a lot of these things that we yeah. think are interesting. Yeah, I think <laughs> just so. Just all of the behavioral stuff. Because this is when he starts to get into the pacifying behaviors. Uh, oh, and I guess we should clarify what that is. Because it, a big thing that he focuses on is that we do a lot of things to comfort ourselves. Right. And there's a lot of behaviors that make us immediately de-stress, feel more calm. And if you can watch for those, you can see when somebody might be feeling uneasy. Yeah. And I I guess these are a little bit different from some of the just general body languagey stuff, right? Like turning towards a door isn't a pacifying behavior, right? But certain things like touching your neck yeah. and face in particular yep. are things we do to make ourselves feel less anxious. And so he touches on a lot of these things you can watch for that are a sign that somebody might be getting a little uncomfortable and are trying to calm themselves down. Yeah. But and the coolest part is, I mean, I, I keep going back to this, but the coolest part is it's not like we're consciously trying to calm ourselves down or pacify ourselves. Right. It's like some part of your brain is sending a signal to another part of your brain being like, I need comfort, comfort yeah. me. <laughs> and, and like, you just do it without thinking about it. It just really makes you wonder, like, who's in the driver's seat? Because it's not your conscious brain, that's for sure. That's true. None of this is, uh, there's no like intentionality to any no. of it. It just happens, yeah. right? And it's like, well, who is... Which is why it? I think it's so useful for what he's talking about, which is like detecting lies or or at least evasive behaviors because yeah. that part of your brain doesn't know how to lie. Right. Right? Well, it like, doesn't know how to lie and it's almost impossible to control. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I mean, if you... Like you can verbally lie yeah. pretty easily. Yeah. Whether, you know, believability is a different thing. And you can tell a lie like on command, but you can't command your limbic system to like tell a lie. Like I can't engage in these evasive behaviors like believably. And that's the other thing he calls out. If you try to fake these, it's so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I, so and this is the thing where I feel like some socialization advice, especially like dating advice yeah. can go bad. Yeah. Where the one that I always see is the like touching someone on the arm and shoulder where people who do that naturally, just like a natural light touch, it feels totally natural. Right. But people who are doing it to Forcing. do it yes you can immediately yep. tell like it is so obvious right and that that definitely gives someone like a creepy feeling yeah yeah it's just like oh i i just do not like that you did that but yep. people who where it's just 100 natural then it's it's like oh yeah cool like we're yeah. touching each other now right? right great uh the smiles are the big one the other big ones oh you can tell so easily if they so, smile well, especially once you get good at identifying main things that make a smile fake well he said there's two muscle groups yeah. right that are involved in the smile and it's a fake the, one is just one it's just the mouth part right of it, and not the eyes not the eyes because the eyes are really hard to fake yeah right almost impossible well, you have to be like the, a lot of us i do feel like you could tell if someone's smiling, even if you can't see their mouth, if you only could see their eyes, mm -hmm. you could tell if they're really smiling or not. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I think we do smile with our eyes in a lot of cases. Well, and that's why people frequently hate photos of themselves. Yeah. Is because if you're <laughs> smiling true. for a photo, yeah. you're not doing a real smile. Yeah. And so it looks awkward and unnatural, right? There's a, there's a natural disgust towards fake emotions. Yeah. Because that is a sign that somebody's lying to us. Yeah. So when we see somebody doing a fake smile. Or we see a picture of ourselves. Yeah. Or with a picture a fake of smile. ourselves doing it, right? There's like a natural aversion. 
conversion that yeah. comes from it. Uh, and that's one of the things he calls out in here too, is that doing any of that stuff, trying to fake it, right? It comes off weird. Yeah. Right. Like, like it's going to give you the, like the, not the impression you're trying to go for. Yeah. Well, there was a guy I knew in college who would always do the kind of hands on hips or hands in his pockets with his thumbs sticking out, right? Yeah. The, the crotch framing yeah. pose. Oh, that yeah. All the time. I like that when he talked about it. Yeah. But all of his other body language would be really unconfident. Uh, and so, it's so he was just using a tactic. Yeah, he was he trying was to use saying, a tactic, yeah. but it made him look less confident <laughs> because I don't know if it did this for other people, but for me, like seeing it, it made everything else worse because there was this one body gesture that didn't jive with the rest of it. And so it almost made him look both unconfident and insecure about it, mm. right? Which is obviously not what he was going for. No, it was the opposite of what yeah. he was going for. <laughs> yeah. It's like he could control this one thing, which was the putting his hands in his pockets, the thumbs up, but he couldn't control what his face was doing in his shoulders. So because he, he hadn't actually fixed the mentality issue, it was more just he was just trying to apply this one behavior basically yeah 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 yeah. and i'm sure this is probably a big difficulty for salespeople too Mm, yeah where you can go up and you can do like the firm handshake pat on the arm thing but if it's not natural it's going to come off weird yeah right really weird yeah definitely and there's uh, like i think with sales too there's like um your tactics probably are a reflection of your mentality Mm -hmm. as opposed to like just using the tactics which is why a lot of like the tactical sales advice is not that helpful Oh, right. Like where it's just like, oh, use a firm handshake, look them in the eye. Like, yeah, you could do all that stuff. But if it's not really genuine, you're just going to come across as creepy or sleazy or whatever the term, you know, somebody wants to call you. But like, it's not going to feel natural or you're not going to be likable. (laughs) Right. You know, and likability is one of those things where it's like people can tell if you're just trying to fake it just to be liked. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why like some of the best dating advice for men usually is to stop trying to or stop trying. Well, yeah, stop trying. Stop trying to pick up women. Like go try to make friends with people. Yeah. Right. Or like just try to be a friendly, interesting person. Right. Exactly. And then you'll do all the right behaviors, but you won't have that like creepy intention behind it that turns people off. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which and it gives people uh, when you do detect it, you know, if you're interacting with somebody or you even just observe somebody getting this feeling, it's like a disgust feeling like it's not just like oh something's off it's like once you realize someone's faking it you just you're it's it feels disgusting yeah yeah well i'm sure you've had this experience where you're out at bars or at a party or something and then a guy or like a, some, a few friends will come up and join your group yeah and sometimes they do it and it's like oh cool you guys are fun yeah like, we're hanging out exactly. now this is great yeah it can be a great time and then other yep. times somebody does it and it's just like so clear they're trying to talk to like one girl in your group yeah. or whatever and it's just pure disgust reaction yep. right and it's again it's like that intention and how much of it's being faked versus the natural right like just fun person having fun versus doing this for this reason yeah and we can see through that and it's kind of goes back to what we were talking about before where you can have that deeper disgust reaction still but not consciously know why you're having it exactly you can just feel it you can sense it like you know something is off here yeah even though you can't consciously put an explanation what the reason is behind it yeah um let me take a sip of my mushroom coffee before oh. we move on. Mushroom coffee from Four Sigmatic? Mushroom coffee from Four Sigmatic. Ah, foursigmatic.com slash think. Yeah, you yes. get, I think it's 15% off. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Support your podcasters. Yeah, you support the podcasters, <laughs> that's for sure. But you also support yourself. You because, do. Because, uh, well, I'm drinking the Think 
blend, right? Which is uh, Chaga and yeah. Lion's Mane. Chaga and Lion's Mane. Yeah. yeah a little bit of instant coffee. Instant coffee. So you get a little bit of that caffeine hit, but it's not uh, not like drinking, you know, like a venti Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. You know, quadruple <laughs> espresso. <laughs> it's 50 milligrams, right? Yeah. So it's, it's sort of like the amount in a, a like an Earl Grey tea. Yeah. Right. Which is, it's nice. It's enough. It gives you a good bump. Good bump. I think the mushroom stuff definitely has an effect too, because it's a different kind of you feel more clear mentally yeah um it's a cleaner high yeah you know like i find coffee like regular coffee for me is uh especially when i'm writing i love like just regular coffee i can i think i saw this in someone's twitter bio it's like turning coffee into words (laughs) i I do well with regular coffee for writing Mm -hmm. because i I don't know why but the caffeine just it really just takes like i can write faster and i find the thoughts are pretty good yeah but when I'm doing speaking related things like recording this podcast, obviously, or in my day to day world, like managing or selling mushroom coffee does. I do a lot better with that. I don't have like the uh, you guys may think I go on a lot of tangents on this <laughs> show. But if I was drinking regular coffee, I would be going all over the place. I can't keep a, a thread the same way. I mean, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm exactly the same with regular coffee where and I notice myself doing it. It's like a weird self-awareness I've developed <laughs> yeah. where I can see myself talking way too quickly <laughs> yeah. and going off on these crazy tangents yep. and pulling things in for everywhere. And I'm like, whoa, OK, you need to you <laughs> yeah. just, like calm down. Right? Yep. Uh, yeah, you're like this third party observer. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't know you're what like, Nat's doing right now. Yeah, but exactly. like, there's, one, there's one pitch I distinctly remember, like maybe three, four weeks ago, I was drinking regular coffee during it and uh, I saw the phone call and I'm like in my own head observing what i'm saying and i'm like why am i giving all these details right now that like <laughs> nobody would care about <laughs> but you just like, can't stop like the train is gone oh yeah at no, that it's... point yeah <laughs> so yes so mushroom Much coffee, coffee is especially on like a day-to-day kind of thing like you know i i love the taste of coffee so switching from coffee to tea or something wasn't quite what i was looking for just because i like i like tea but i definitely in the mornings like to drink something that tastes like coffee at least yeah. and this has coffee in it so you still get that feeling but you get the clear Clarity and uh, not no jitteriness. So, yeah. if you want something else that tastes like coffee, get some perfect keto coffee flavored exogenous ketones, yep. which is what I was having this morning. Ooh, oh yeah. So, uh, obviously, if you're familiar with the keto diet, you can actually, if you Google like Nat Easy Keto, I've got a short article up now on like a super nice. simple way to do the keto <laughs> diet. I finally published something. It's like all that information has been building up in my Evernote, and I had to put something out there. Right? I, I'm not done with the whole three month like big article yet, yep. but it's like all right, start here. Just like put something out. Keep it, yeah. Keep it, yeah. But exogenous ketones, perfect keto, perfectketo.com slash think. 20% 20% off. 20% off. 20% off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And they've got a whole nice landing page for us now. So you can find all of that. It makes it a lot easier to get into keto. Good if you're doing it for the weight loss or the cognitive benefits. And so, if you don't want to remember all these links, you can also go to madeyouthinkpodcast.com slash support. Yep. And then all the links are right there. And you can also do your shopping on Amazon by clicking through to our affiliate link on that page. You can. Uh, and you'll you also find the Kettle on Fire. Yes link kettleonfire.com slash thinks so if you're trying to get some of your ancestral organ meat bone marrow collagen type e, collagen benefits that'll be the place to go uh it's really and good they're also for, giving 20 percent off they're also giving 20 percent off really good for if you've been sick at all this season a lot of people are sick whenever cosette gets sick i'll always like make her a cup of bone broth Ooh. she really loves that right it's it's nice it's warm it's tasty i still gotta try good. the slow cooker thing you told me oh like yeah making so, the carnitas in the slow cooker yeah, or the instant the pot cooker yeah. uh i make barbacoa with it too oh, that sounds Ooh. so good yeah you just get like three pounds of chuck roast toss it in there with a bunch of spices some bone broth 
it, you can do it slow cook for eight hours. You can use the Instant Pot. Make sure to click through to Amazon from our link before you yes, buy your Instant please Pot. Please do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely the best cooking investment I've ever made. Uh, twice it's amazing. So yeah, you throw in like some meat, spices, some kettle and fire bone broth, and then uh, pressure cook it for an hour, and it's just delicious. It's like better than Chipotle. Ooh, so you can nah, slice up some avocado, toss it on there. I gotta make this. The it's like 10 week. bucks to make three pounds of this oh, stuff, right? Man. It's amazing. So yeah, you toss in some vegetables and you got a really good meal. Oh, great. Right, yeah. yeah. Have some have some rice if you're eating rice. Not if you're doing keto. But. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was like, Nat, are you eating rice these days? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was bad over the I'm holiday, not keto, so I'm allowed to eat. Yeah, you rice. can eat all the rice. Yeah, and you'll get double rice. It's like when you go out to eat with double a, rice, but yeah. It's like when you go out to eat with a vegetarian, right? You're like, oh, I'll get double meat to <laughs> like make up for them. Right? It's like you go out to eat with me, you're like, I'll get double rice to yeah. make up for them. <laughs> <laughs> the imbalance in the probably equation. not the uh, direction I want to be moving is more carbs, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> All right, let's. All right, back, back to the episode. But um, yeah, but those help support the podcast. Check out our sponsors, exactly. And they're all stuff, all things we actually use. They so are. yeah, it was nice. And obviously, all the books, definitely lots and lots of books. books. That goes without saying. Yeah. Oh, and also subscribe to the email list email where list. you can get the bonus material of us goofing off before the episode. I think playing I've, with pepper. I've noticed recently we have way less tangents during the actual episode. And they're all done in like the bonus <laughs> they're material. They're all done in the bonus material, yeah. <laughs> uh, not all done, but we still have some tangents. But yeah. many of them are in the bonus material. So if you miss the tangents or you can't get your uh, daily fill of Neil and Nat tangents, uh, <laughs> yeah. go get the bonus material on the email list. And I wonder if we could set up a private podcast feed for the bonus material. Ooh, I think there'd be a way to do that where we just give people direct link for their podcast app. Yeah. And then it's not like publicly published. But I've seen some other podcasts do that. So that could be a fun thing for us. That to, could be cool to check to out. To set up, yeah. Yeah. And then also you can get access to to the list of books before we actually do them yeah. so that's a pretty good resource and then also any giveaways we keep saying that we should probably actually we should do probably a giveaway do soon yeah should we do a giveaway for this book I, let, 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 let's convene after the episode <laughs> figure out our giveaway yeah, nat is like let's do this a little more strategic <laughs> than, uh, just like doing it on the fly that intro episode giveaway <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. <sighs> all right let's back into the past all right virus. So we talked about face and neck touching. That's the really big one. The lens stroking too. People stroke their legs sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say the leg cleansing yeah. is an interesting one where people will kind of like rub their leg or stroke it under the table. Uh, and so you might see somebody do the, I think the most pronounced version of this is when they're using both arms and moving their hands up and down their legs, yeah. right? It's a really observable behavior. Uh, and that's a pretty big sign that they're trying to calm themselves down. But then they can also do it in subtler ways. Like they could just have their hand on their knee under the table and rubbing it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we should have filmed this episode. I know. Because <laughs> we're, we're like demonstrating all of these to each other. I, I don't know about you, but I find as I'm saying things, I kind of have to do them. Right? It's like a <laughs> well, weird. You're associating them. I'm associating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, just, I feel like I need to stroke my legs as I'm saying this thing. Maybe I'm just uncomfortable. I don't know. <laughs> right now, I'm, I'm way more self conscious about all these behaviors. I'm like, oh, I can't touch my neck or my face or neil's gonna think i'm like uneasy uh, uh. right hmm yeah uh. stroking my chin as i was saying that just exactly it's the made you think one. logo yeah yeah <laughs> yeah maybe we'll do a live video episode at some point there we go but he gives guidelines for pacifying behaviors too kind of like the commandments in the beginning where he says that you want to establish a baseline for the pacifiers as well, yeah. right? So what's the normal amount they're trying to comfort themselves? And then whenever you see them doing something beyond that baseline, you have to ask yourself, okay, why are they doing this, right? Why are they trying to pacify themselves right now? Exactly. Like, what, what are they, happened? why are they uncomfortable? Why are they uncomfortable? Is, yeah. Exactly. And then uh, it's interesting to us, the different pacifying behaviors can indicate different mental states too. Like, it's not just pacifying in general, but there's like, so like the uh, exhaling with puffed out cheeks, 
like that was indicative of like how people do that after like a near mishap. Right. So let's say you're going over like a contract and then you kind of reach agreement or at least like skip over a point and then somebody like exhales with puffed cheeks. I mean, it sounds really exaggerated, but it can be subtle as well. Mm-hmm. That might have been a point you should go back to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they think that's a real weak point in their kind of in their whole pitch or, you know, in the contract for them. Could be something to, or to that hammer they on one over, they, Or they like hustled you on that point and maybe you should go back on that. Right. Yeah. It's just like different types of things like uh, cheek or face touching was like being when you're nervous, irritated or concerned. So just like the different neck touching was a different one. So, you know, like different pacifying behaviors can indicate different things. Yeah. And then you also want to look for the intensity of them. Yes. Because he does say that for pacifiers, they scale with the intensity of the discomfort. So somebody who's really uncomfortable will be probably pretty extreme, like holding their hand on their neck or you know, really locking their legs into their chairs, stroking their legs, doing the extreme versions. But somebody who's just a little uncomfortable might just, you know, play with a pencil or play with their hair or lightly stroke their arm or something less crazy. Yeah. Uh, But then that goes back to the baseline where somebody could be playing with a pencil while you're talking to them. And that's just normal. That's just normal. It's just comfortable for them. But if he gives one example in there of somebody speeding up. (laughs) You know what I was going to say? What? You've been playing with those batteries. I know. Yeah. The entire episode though. Yeah. So that's your baseline. It's my baseline. Well, I I find that like if I have something in front of me that I can play I do it with napkins. Oh. I do it with napkins all the time. It doesn't matter like if I'm like, even if I'm just like by myself and watching a movie or something, I might be playing with a napkin. Like it's just if there's a napkin in my hand, I will mess with it. Yeah. Or like what's well, like those fidget cubes. Yeah. Right. They're so good for that. There's just a hundred little things on there that you can play with. That's why establishing the baseline is so important though. Because if I let's say I always did that and then I just stopped doing it when you mentioned something, that's probably the freeze response, right? Yeah. yeah. Or he gives the example of the woman being interviewed who was playing with a pencil and then started playing with it faster. Yes. When he mentioned certain names. Yep. And he did it three or four times with the same name and she always started moving it faster. And that was a sign there was something more there. Yeah. And I think she ended up like being engaged in money laundering from Russia. It was some crazy <laughs> yeah. case. Yeah, he has yeah. some really he has some cool cases. Cool cases. Yeah. I guess 25 years as an career. FBI agent would do that. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, we should mention too that he's published a lot of papers. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because if you that. noticed in the book, yeah, you're right. He yep. cites a lot of papers where he's one of the lead authors. And so these are like behavioral psychology. I don't know what kind of journals they're getting published in, but he he's not just like, hey, I worked for the FBI and like these are my secrets, right? right? Yeah. It's it's like they were doing real research on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and definitely. it sounds like he's pretty significantly impacted how they think about deception of body language in the Bureau now from a lot of his work and how they think about detecting deception. You know what's wild is like, why don't we ever learn this stuff at school? <laughs> Dude, there's this, so this many tangent, things. But yeah, right? <laughs> like, it's like on a long list of things that would be more <laughs> useful to learn in school than, you know, like what the hell a mitochondria does. Right. This is pretty, this is definitely on that list. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Like this is so valuable. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, or like how to do taxes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> how to, you know, maintain a healthy relationship. How to, uh, I don't know, just like, yeah, there's so many things you could go into. Like even just basic financial planning. Just financial planning, <laughs> how to like interpret a source, how to make an yeah. argument, right? Uh, <laughs> how to use the internet. <laughs> how to use the internet. Yeah, how to not be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I think they call that character. <laughs> yeah. Um, I found this line to be pretty valuable. Where I'm just going to quote from what he said. He said, having conducted thousands of interviews for the FBI, I learned to concentrate on the suspect's feet and legs first, moving upward in my observations until I read the face last. When it comes to honesty, truthfulness decreases as we move from the feet to the head. 
That was really cool heuristic. I thought that was one of the most interesting parts of the book because it definitely goes against your intuitions right. where you think, okay, we look at their face and if they're, you know, their eyes are being shifty or if they're like looking at the door, right, then they're being deceptive. But that might just be facial tics or whatever. Yeah. Or, or they could be faking any of that, right? It's right. the easiest one to fake. But he's saying that the like feet- Like the poker example. Exactly, like the poker example. But he's saying here that the feet are the most honest body part and the one that he tends to focus on. I love the, uh, I think this is maybe moving to slightly different section but where he talks about like gravity defying behaviors yeah <laughs> like when we start lifting our feet or our hands start you know really uh getting animated you just that tends to be when we're feeling very excited about something or feel very positive about our circumstances yeah. it's like that he mentions it fr- first in the feet all right you know what i also liked this is um not just related to the section but like throughout the entire book he ties a lot of these like colloquial phrases to the actual behaviors. So for example, like in this section, walking with a bit of a bounce in their step. Oh, yeah. Right? Like we say that, but like it's literally true. <laughs> right, right. And then, uh, yeah, it's like walking on air. There's like there's like all sorts of like other phrases. I'm blanking on what some a bunch of the other ones are. But it's like many of these like colloquial phrases that we use. Oh, like turning your back on someone, right? We talk about how like we want to protect, this is a later section, talks about we want to protect our vital organs in the front. So when you like abandon someone, you turn your back to them. Right. Yeah. I don't know. There's just like all sorts of like different colloquial phrases that are like quite literally true. They're not just yeah. phrases. And he uses them as indicators. Yeah. Right. It's like the walking with the bounce in the step. He's yeah. saying that anything like that where your legs and any other body part are defying gravity, like you're happy, you're excited. Yes. Yep. Right. And he, he does mention it here, but also going back to that, it's cool how those rules tend to repeat themselves across all of the body parts, right? Where it's like vital organ protection is another big one, right? right? So if you're turning your legs, if you're turning your feet in, what that actually does is it protects the femoral artery, mm-hmm. right? So like you've got these huge arteries in your legs that are kind of on the inside towards your groin. Yep. And if you turn your toes in, that gets- They're protected. way less exposed. They're way less exposed, right? And that's the same with the locking your arms to your sides to protect your lungs and heart, right? Closing off your chest to protect like everything, uh, turtling to protect your neck, right? So many of these behaviors come back to protecting really important parts of our body yep. when we're uncomfortable. From like predators or- Predators. From you know what's amazing too is like, I don't know if you've had, like there's certain types of people we have these conversations with were like yeah this is to protect from predators or whatever and they totally get it mm-hmm. they tend to have read similar things to what we've read yeah uh, so i'm guessing a lot of our podcast listeners probably, probably fall in that camp but then when you try to have this conversation with people who may might not be so familiar with the same literature they um they might be like what are you talking about protect from predators like it's just like they can't think back to that well obviously we weren't alive when there were <laughs> these types of uh you know uh, saber-toothed tigers and stuff running around but a pretty cool thing to think about is that all of us literally are descended from people who survived that. So the behaviors that we have are survival behaviors that like whether or not those behaviors directly led to the survival, but they were at least correlated with surviving those types of circumstances. Yeah. And a hundred percent of us, it's not like, Oh, some of us survived, but like, no, literally if you're alive today, you are descended from somebody who survived times where humans roamed among predators <laughs> right and you know like tribal warfare yeah. and just everything right it's pretty amazing to think about yeah and the the societal evolution is obviously way faster right. than genetic evolution yep. and so i mean it goes back to all the stuff we talk about with like paleo or like any of that type of stuff too darwin's dangerous idea yep. uh you know selfish gene talks about this a lot right with memetics where memes yep. evolve way faster than genes yeah and so through our society and culture and our you know desires and you know 
know, the prefrontal human brain, we can do things that go against our genes. Yeah. Right. But only to a certain extent. Right. Right. It's like we can control what we're saying. It's like we, hardware versus software. Kind yeah. Of, right. And yeah. some some ways it's kind of like that, even though I guess genes are a type of software as well. No, they code for no, no, no. They're they're kind of the hardware if you think about it. Yeah, I guess you could argue they're both. Yeah, because they are the programming instructions, but they're also you know like they build the hard- hardware. <laughs> yeah, I guess where they give the instructions for how to build the hardware. Right. Basically, where I'm going with this is like even the memes that we all kind of identify with are in some way limited by our genes. Like the genes provide like the boundaries, like the boundary oh, systems, okay. right? And then like the memes sort of have to live within those boundary conditions, but they can move way faster. Right. Then like it's hard to give an example of like the opposite, right? But if there was something that was just from some alien society mm-hmm. that was based on, I don't know, let's say they had another base pair that we don't or something, they might have a total, like everything might be different. Like there might be nothing that we could ever connect with them on. Yeah, I guess it's hard because on the flip side, some of the value of memes is their ability to contradict. Yes, genes, they can definitely right? contradict, but I don't know if they can get outside of the boundary. condition. So for example, like, we have we know of the certain amount of senses that we have, right? Sight, hearing, touch, taste, smell. Maybe what if there's like an eighth one or something or seventh oh, or sixth right. one, right? Or there's like all these ones that are we just don't even on earth there's no example of. Yeah. This is more related to Darwin's dangerous idea, but like remember how like he was talking about how evolution kind of like went our, down one branch? Like the way we can perceive the world affects how we can talk, talk about, about it, it and right. live in it exactly yeah. that's exactly what i mean like if okay. there was nothing that we have ever like there might be a sense that exists somewhere in the universe that like we just wouldn't there wouldn't even be a chance of us having a word for that because we would have no we'd have no sense of what that actually is yeah right like <laughs> <laughs> well yeah things things just totally outside of perception right it's like exactly if there is something that can perceive across time i think would yeah be a that's example. a good one yeah right. or even just like i don't know see like different wavelengths of light potentially could yeah even be. like ultraviolet infrared yeah. right it'd be weird if we could see through the walls right. for infrared <laughs> exactly. light right yep but it is possible i mean there's certainly are there animals some animals that can uh not maybe not infrared but ultraviolet definitely yeah i want to say there are i'm not sure yeah I, I, my, my my temptation <laughs> is to say that there are animals that can at least sense infrared okay right well and technically we can too we can feel heat, heat but at yeah. a much lower level yeah um I don't know. We'd have to look that up. I feel like there's got to be something out there that can sense infrared. Yeah. yeah. There's so many weird animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are. Anyway, okay, we're well, way we, off topic. Yeah. No, we had to include at least one tangent. We did. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's the... Uh, <laughs> it always it always ends up coming back to like memetics and yeah, evolution. And, but yeah, actually, I mean, to but the point But it ties to this that, book, though. Well, to your point that started this tangent, evolution is such a great like first principle heuristic for understanding everything. I feel like for every book we've talked about, it plays a role, right? Yeah. Where, I mean, a lot of the stuff in principles by Dalio, right? It's just the theory of evolution applied to business right. and decision making, right? Go to Lesher Bach, big evolution influence uh, in a lot of things he talked about, right? All the body language stuff comes from evolutionary behaviors, right? Like Darwin's dangerous idea. Okay, obviously that's all evolution. Like anti-fragile, right? That's an evolutionary process. Evolution is an anti-fragile process. Even amusing ourselves to death in some ways is tied to like, well, it's the evolution of media. And then, uh, and also how that relates to our own attention spans, which are of course driven by well, ev- and our evolutionary propensity towards valuing information. Yeah, right. Because that was our competitive advantage. Yep. Was that we thought that if we had more information, we were less likely to die, which yeah. was true for most of history. Yeah. And now we have to uh, <laughs> we have, going back to just memes like versus calories genes. too. It's yeah, like just calories. like calories, yeah. right? Now we're actually in this weird situation where we probably have to do more to fight our genetic impulses. Yeah. Than because we have such abundance them. of well, at least in in 
in the Western world, we're so we're like blessed to have an abundance of calories and an abundance of, of information. Yeah. So it's just like that stuff's just not. Uh, it's almost like yeah, you're right. You have to spend more energy fighting your instincts in those both of those regards. And I, I kind of this goes back to what we've talked about a lot, like the optionality trap, right? And how more options are not necessarily a good. It's thing. One of my favorite topics. I know, right? <laughs> uh, and I was thinking about that with dating too. Yeah. Right. Where it's like nobody in our generation wants to commit to a relationship. Oh uh, yeah, that is a very good point. And it's the same problem, right? It's the same when problem. You, when you have Tinder and Literally Bumble, the same problem. You have like this issue of abundance where it's like, well, I'm not going to commit to something because you know there's what so many the other. Match, yeah, is right. like two percent hotter than my current <laughs> match. Yeah, exactly. No, that's so true, though. Yeah, and, and so that's another place where we have to fight our evolutionary instinct, yep. right? like especially for men, where yeah, it's like I think it's less the, for women. The male genetic men. influence is like, well, you should have sex with as many people right, as you want, exactly, and we have more ability to do that now than ever before. So it's almost like, why would you? close off your options exactly but then by closing off your options you never actually develop the depth of the relationships that you would if you did close leaving all of your options open you never develop a deep relationship exactly so you have to fight that genetic impulse to keep all your options open more so now than ever before yeah right which is probably why i don't know like people are getting married and having kids so much later because if you read the defining decade by meg jay it's a very good book. What she talks about in the book is that people are like getting married and having kids in their mid to late thirties now, not because they had like some plan to do it then, but because they basically hit that age and then they go, Oh shit. Like I need to figure this out now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, because nobody wants to commit to anything in their twenties and it's like making people much unhappier and all of this stuff. Right. And it probably comes from these same things that we're talking about. The same instincts sort of like the genetic yeah. compulsion is to keep your options open, keep exploring. Do you know if that, I mean, obviously, neither of us is female, so it's hard to ask you this question. Maybe maybe (laughs) she mentioned it in the book. Yeah. Um, But, like, how is that for women? Like, I know for men, I understand why, like, instinctually or, like, genetically, we would want to or we wouldn't want to commit Mm -hmm. because we want to keep all of our options open and have them all, basically. (laughs) Right? But, like, for women, how does that uh, happen in the 20s? Or or does she say it's the same thing for women? She says it's the same thing for women, uh, but I think it's a different motivation. Okay. Whereas because... Oh, women think they can get a better... Exactly. Okay. Like, the female, you know, mating motivation is find the absolute best male specimen possible. The male motivation is find as many female specimens. So, for for women, it might be more like there might be somebody better around the corner right whereas like the next tinder swipe will be more attractive mr perfect or yeah whatever right yep and so that makes it harder too you have a perfect storm of disaster basically (laughs) well that's why like some of these stats on because our generation surprisingly has less sex than past generations right and i think there's two things at play there i can see why though because you never i mean people might not even though the ease of matches is there you never get the depth to get to that level well, and that's Not the thing, too, is a lot of people get tons of matches and stuff on these apps, but then never end up following them through. Right? Like some, some of people, it's also an ego bump, too. Though, yeah, right? some of it's so. an ego bump and all of that. But I think there's also this element of concentration mm. where I think that now more than ever, there are some men who are sleeping with like hundreds of women. Right. That's and true. way more men yeah. who are sleeping with just none. Yeah. Right. Because you so get it's this almost like a um, power law. Yeah. This, this yeah. is power law distribution where yeah. you get, you know, it just like all rises to the top more than ever before because there is so much greater selection within communities now from these dating apps and stuff where you know women have the option to just go for like the nines and tens of men and the super attractive men can basically sleep with as many women as they want but also your point about um about people like not following up too that's like some of it could be that you don't follow up because you're like well i don't really invest any time in this one because the next match the next match might be even better yeah right so then you end up like I guess you don't yeah because probably in the past I'm trying to think like in the in the past when women I guess or men you know depending on whose perspective you're looking at it from were scarce mm-hmm. 
you would be like, well, I don't know when the next one's going to come along. Yeah, so I, I better, better lock this down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I might not see another woman for six months. So yeah, well, I, I mean, probably... that's definitely yeah. a big factor, right? Yeah. Is the now you, I mean, that, that's the hardest thing is like, you know that there will be somebody probably like more attractive yeah. or better for you or whatever. And you eventually just have to choose like. Right. At some point you yeah. will have to choose. Yeah. That, that's like the weird thing with having access to all this information. It's like jobs too, right? Yeah. Because people do that with jobs. It's like, well, I'm not going to take this job because there might be a better one. Right. right? Yeah. And then they end up like 26 still on their parents' couch because, yeah. oh, this one's not good enough for me. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we just like see that repeated over and over again. Uh, it's so, also yeah. funny too how um, now we're going to get in real tangent mode. Let's do it. Um, but uh, in the Peterson biblical series, right, he talks about the story of Abraham mm -hmm. in very similar terms to what we're talking about right now. Because mm. the story of Abraham is like he was, I forget how old he was when he left his parents' house, but he was like in his 70s or 80s or something. <laughs> yeah, obviously, the ages in the in the story is like very exaggerated because yeah. people lived to like 500 or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say he and lives it, to like 500. Yeah, so okay, maybe that's the equivalent of like 26, Yeah. right? And But like he has to, like God basically has to tell him to get his ass out of out of his parents' house and kept moving <laughs> um, just to get on the road to something. Like, you can't just keep sitting around, basically. Right, right. Yeah, so it's kind of, like, very interesting how, like, even that though that story is probably many thousands of years old, they were kind of recognizing the same, like, youthful tendency to, like, sit around until and wait for the best option. Yeah. <laughs> and we also think time is infinite when we're young. That, yeah, that's the yeah. other thing. Is you, <laughs> you assume you have infinite time to figure the rest of the stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, fortunately, is not the case. Right, exactly. Not yet. Elon Musk is working on it. I'm yeah. sure, but <laughs> and Ray Kurzweil. Ray and Kurzweil all and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Although we'll see what happens. Reminds me of the denial of death episode. I know, right? That we did. It's all just immortality projects. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is also evolutionarily. It is. That's a good evolutionary base. It's like every book. You're right. Like everything we've talked about. Charlie Munger, that episode. It all comes back to evolution. Yeah. We, we better just do Origin of the Species at some point. Like, it's not that good of a book, but we, we probably should just do it. For context, that was going to be like episode three or four or something. Not three, because three was mastery. Yeah, it was going to be uh, four or five. I suggest It was one of the first ones I suggested. And then that was like, nah, there's probably better evolution books to do. <laughs> it's, it's a very impactful book. Yeah. But I would not call it like a good, fun read. <laughs> It's, it's it's all of the you know ho towing and trying to cover the your own ass from denial of death like times five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, anyway, body back language. to the book. <laughs> okay, so we covered a lot of the leg stuff. The other thing in here that I think is worth touching on is the leg crossing. Mm, yeah. So that's a comfortable thing for most people. Uh, but we'll also do it in the direction of people who we like more. So if you see somebody doing it in a group, they'll cross their legs to open themselves towards people they like right. and to close themselves from people that they don't. In the direction of the people that they like yeah. is where they do it. Yeah. yeah. So if somebody like crosses their leg as if to create a shield between you and them, that means you're making them uncomfortable. Right. But if they're crossing their legs so that, you know, they're kind of like showing you the bottom of their foot, that's a good thing. It's like right. a sign that they're comfortable with you. They're opening up to you. And that again, like femoral artery, right? Oh, if you're closing yeah. yourself off, you're protecting the femoral artery on both legs. If you're opening yourself up by crossing your legs, you're really exposing the artery on the top leg. Right, so it's a big indication. Something actually, in a very yeah, that reminds me of um, something I saw on Twitter. Not recently, this was like a while back, but something you just said with the artery reminded me of it. So when guys pass each other, mm -hmm. remember like back in school or whatever, you'd pass people if you knew them, you would tend to you can't see obviously as you're listening on audio. Oh yeah, but yeah. you would you would nod up, mm -hmm. and if it was somebody that you like maybe are acquaintances with but don't quite know well, you tend to like nod down. Yeah. So nodding down, you're protecting your neck. Nodding up, you are exposing your neck. Right. So it's like, oh, I tr it's kind of like I trust you, basically. Mm -hmm. 
like i trust you so much i'm gonna like basically give you the ability to kill me by exposing my neck to you yeah uh, it's a really cool thing like nobody teaches us that <laughs> no it's just totally a natural thing yeah. and the, the example he uses too is tilting your head to the side yeah right like the sideways head tilt is a big sign of comfort yeah and if you try to make yourself do it in a situation where you're uncomfortable like he's in an elevator like an elevator yeah yeah where you don't know anyone <laughs> yeah it'll feel really weird yeah because you're exposing you know your neck to yeah. strangers yeah it doesn't feel like something you want to do no <laughs> uh, but you'll notice you do it with friends all the time he's said with some people you can't even do it like you try to do it and your body will be basically like rebel just not let you yeah like yeah trying to do yeah the Which next crazy. thing crazy yeah i want to try it next time yeah i know i want to do it too right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then the last thing is the the feet pointing, right? Yeah. Which is if if you're talking to someone and they're standing with their feet kind of at an L where one is pointed at you and one's pointed away, or even if both are pointed away, that means that they don't want to be there talking to you. Yeah. If they do want to talk to you, both their feet should be pointed in your direction. Yeah. This is the one that I did retain from this book where whenever I'm talking to someone, I try to keep my feet pointed at them all the time because I know it'll create like a subconscious thing if I keep them pointed away. On the flip side, if I do actually have to be there, I will deliberately point my feet away from them. <laughs> yeah. Just like send that So signal, they get like, the sense. That... Yeah, like I need to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, but you can watch for it in other people and get a sense for... And, and to be fair, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're making them uncomfortable or that they don't like you. It could just be that they have an appointment. Right. Right. Exactly. And they just they need to go. They actually have to go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't mean they don't like you. It just means they don't want to be right there right at that exact moment. <laughs> it could be they don't like you. It could but be. Not necessarily. Like yeah. yeah. You have to ask. See if there's something they need to be going to. Again, the context. Context. Context is key. Uh, then he moves up to like the chest and arms. Yeah. And it's a lot of the same thing, uh, turning away. So we'll, we'll turn our chest away from people who make us uncomfortable, or we'll cross our arms over our chest, right, to kind of protect it, block the heart, lungs, stomach. All the vital there. organs in the front. Yeah, this is where the turtling comes in a little bit too, because we'll, we'll hunch our shoulders. That's also protective, right? It's like flexing the muscles in your back too, I think. All of that is just signs of discomfort. I never realized how important I never or I just never thought about how important arms are in terms of protection of mm -hmm. your of your organs. Remember, yeah, like well, they're great for that. <laughs> they're great. Like they're like he was talking about again with abused children when uh, like a lot of times wear on the arm that they'll have uh, bruises. Oh yeah, that was because that was the interesting part. The kids basically are using their arms to block their body instinctually. And then, so he said there's like telltale signs you can see with the bruising that'll show you that they've been sort of using their arms to block blows. And they're very different marks from if they fall. Right, exactly. So if that's always fall, the excuse. It'll get bruised one way. Yep. But if they're blocking from strikes, it'll get bruised a different way. Right. And so on like a different part. A different your, part of the, the arm. arm. Yeah. Yep. And I guess if you're trained, it's probably pretty easy to tell. Yeah. I'm sure it wouldn't be hard. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the one of the things that they teach you in martial arts, too, is if you can get under someone's arm, right, like this area by their armpit, it's a very thin protection between right. there and their lungs. Yeah. And right? the ribs are like not, I mean, the ribs are definitely good for protection. But they're not that they're strong. Not that strong. Yeah. Yeah. If you can get under someone's arm and just like elbow them really hard in the side of the ribs. Yeah. You your can, elbow is pretty strong. Yeah. You can really knock the wind out of them uh, or like break a few ribs. Yeah. It's not that hard to do. Yeah. So arms, you know, them somebody pulling in their arms like that, a big sign that they feel like they need to protect themselves. And conversely, if they're throwing their arms around, right, it's like, hey, I'm really confident and secure right now. Yeah. I don't feel the need to protect my lungs like a lot of football rib injuries are where you're right they get hit in the side oh uh, by they're going up helmet. for a pass or and then somebody and then, someone's going straight in and the helmet yeah. hits their ribs obviously they're wearing pads but even then your ribs are just not that like thick so if someone's coming full speed with a helmet right and it hits you right there 
that this is another random it's only gonna be a one second tangent but like people always wonder like or there's a lot of like debate about like why football injuries have increased over the years and some of that is possibly steroids related um size of the players is much larger now than it ever was Mm -hmm. some people actually say the helmets as the stronger the helmets get actually more injuries they could cause with the helmet that makes sense yeah because there's like a freaking club on your head (laughs) yeah well it's also i mean kind of the argument for why rugby players don't get injured as much despite wearing way less padding is that you don't have the insurance right right? so you're not going to throw yourself at somebody in the same way as you would throw yourself with no protection at somebody it's sort of like that every action has equal and opposite reaction. It's yeah. going to hurt you too. Oh, yeah. But when you have the protection on and you can hit an exposed part of somebody's body, all of a sudden that's like it creates an imbalance. Creates bad incentives. Creates bad incentives. Charlie Munger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. just something I thought about with the ribs thing. But you're right. When people are feeling comfortable, they actually raise their hands yeah. more because their hands are up, arms are moving around. When they're uncomfortable, they are like trapped by their, their side. When people have their hands behind their head. Well, like, yeah, that was the cool one. The, yeah. the, what does he call it? He calls it hooding. Yes. Right? Yeah. Where you, it's like you're making a cobra hood yeah. by putting your hands behind your head. And it's a really big confidence yeah. tell, right? Yeah. If you see somebody doing it, it means that they're just super confident in whatever situation they're in. And you'll particularly see men do it when they feel like they're in charge and then they'll take their hands down if somebody more senior to them comes in. So somebody might do it in their office in a meeting and then the boss comes in and they immediately Immediately stop, stop, right? Because it's, you know, they realize they're not in control anymore, right? right? It's the same thing with, uh, he talks about splaying, right? Where you take up as much territory as possible. City subway examples too, right? Those are great. Well, and this is what people (laughs) would call like man spreading. Yeah. Right. Where (laughs) if you're just taking up tons of space, right? Spreading your legs way out arms way out taking up a lot of space on a table right you're splaying you're trying to control as much territory as you can with your body and it's generally like a confidence authority type move as he describes it because it's not a it's kind of like an insecure thing to do in that you're weaker by doing it mm. but you're taking up more territory it's more authoritative right right yeah, it's yeah, like you're i'm in control, here. control. Yeah. yeah i think that covered most of the arms chest legs things and then he gets into the face and a lot of these are they're probably this is probably the most intuitive yeah this was the one where i was like uh, i mean they were all still very interesting to read his explanations yeah but most of them were like yeah okay right i knew that it's like okay yeah squinting and furrowing the forehead means somebody doesn't like what they just heard the smiling section like smiling smile versus the real smile yeah if anyone's listening and you haven't looked at some stuff on real versus fake smiles i highly recommend you do it because once you do you cannot unlearn it and you will remember that distinction basically forever and you'll immediately be able to pick up on it when someone does it because i think we can subconsciously pick up on it where we feel it if it's a real smile or not but if you look at some photos and get good at it you can tell consciously if it's fake smile or not and you'll call it out much more in your head when you see people doing it. yeah you'll be like oh that person just putting on a smile yeah it's it's a useful skill to develop oh yeah like i also liked uh this is where i remember um the like phrase keep your chin up mm. it's like when we feel positive the chin comes out and the nose is high yeah so like again l- quite literally that phrase is talking about the body language of what happens when you're confident yep so keep your chin up is like a you know and it's also this is a something that is in actually jordan peterson's new book which i don't think is technically out yet have you read it no it's in uh it was in the jocko interview where he talked about all oh, a bunch yeah, of the different yeah. chapters so where i was going with this is like like he mentioned something there which is like it's not clear that the circuitry of your brain can figure out what is like cause and effect for these behaviors so if you keep your chin up 
you could actually influence yourself to feel more positive. He talks about in terms of like standing straight, like keeping your, like having good posture. So if you have good posture, there's a good chance you'll actually feel more confident. And we've all felt that. Like when you do kind of fix your posture and you sit better or you stand better, you do feel better. Yeah, it makes a big difference. (laughs) Even though like that should be actually the symptom or the cause of feeling good based on this book, the way he's talking about it is your mental state affects your body language. Mm -hmm. But your body language could also affect your mental state in, in a cool way. So it's a cool like loop in that regard. So this keeping your chin up thing, keep your chin up. Keep your chin up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and conversely, hiding, you know, keeping your chin down, right? Again, it's that protection yeah. movement. Yeah. The, the other one I liked in here is the nostril flaring. Oh, yeah. That's a good one, too. Yeah. That one's super subtle. Yeah. But if you watch it's for true, it. It's true, though. Yeah. People will flare their nostrils whenever they're aroused in any way. So yeah. either around someone they're attracted to or when they're about to fight someone. Mm. Right. Or go into a match or a game or and if you see people in like UFC or whatever. It's like oxygen, like uh, getting in more oxygen, basically. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. Getting in more oxygen, like hyperventilating a bit. And also, I mean, for the attraction, it's like taking in their scent. Yeah. More, getting more of the pheromones. Well, because right? so much of attraction is based in that sort of realm, that subconscious, like smell based. Um, yeah. I guess, effect. Which is, it's crazy how much of an effect that has. Because yeah. apparently people who lose their sense of smell have a hard time establishing deep relationships. Really? With yeah, like they have a harder time getting close because they've lost some of that ability to, I guess, like connect just from not being able to smell them. And it's not something that we're consciously aware of at no. all, but it plays a weirdly big... I would be very interested in reading a book about smell. Well, yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I haven't read one on smell, but I'd be very interested in learning more about that. I haven't read this book, but I've heard this is part of it. Uh, I think it's in Why We Love by Ellen Fisher. Oh, okay. And she's got a section where apparently the biggest predictor of divorce is if the wife doesn't think the husband smells good. Because that's a sign that she's no longer attracted to him on like a biochemical level. Yeah, that's a horrible sign. And that's like a really bad sign. Yeah. And so that will lead to like arguments and fights and everything and eventually the deterioration of the relationship. So that's like a pretty wild thing, right? Because really we think that these are all conscious decisions that we're making. No, right? it's not, definitely not. It's definitely not. It's right? definitely not. It's like, no, I broke up with him because I didn't but like we, him anymore. It's like, no, you broke post, up with him. We can post facto yeah. create reasons. Post rationalize it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like it doesn't, it's not in the moment. It's definitely not. Not, yeah, we're not in the driver's seat for <laughs> no. so much of this stuff. Yeah, for so much of this stuff. It's actually oh, like much. when they say you're like along for the ride, you are like life is one of those things yeah. where you're along for the ride. <laughs> I mean, you could influence where the ride goes, but a lot of these things just sort of happen. Yeah. <laughs> crazy but yeah i guess the last thing we should uh wrap up on is just touching again on this issue of detecting deception yeah. that most people are the vast majority of people including fbi interrogators are no better than chance yeah. at telling us someone's lying and so everyone who says oh i can tell you know when you're lying or uh i know when people are lying in general right it's just confirmation it's bias. Yeah. yeah it's not true it's like they they figured it out a few times but obviously if you know you're flipping a coin then you're going to be right half the time so nobody really knows but he does give some useful things to watch for the main things being synchrony and emphasis so synchrony being if what they're saying jives with their body language yeah right so again going back Somebody's to like the nodding to, versus shaking or somebody who's trying to like i think he gave the example of the mother who came in with the kidnapping of her oh, child yeah and uh she was basically saying he thought he got a little suspicious because what she was saying i think she gave her story in a very like kind of subdued manner kind of calm yeah calm manner yeah as opposed to like like from her body language right as opposed to like if somebody was really like if your child was really kidnapped you'd probably be like frantic your arms would be going everywhere like you'd be emphasizing all these points 
for believe you know emphasis or believability or whatever and then but she wasn't doing any of that so having those two things not match up was a sort of tell for him and that was another instance where he was right where he was right yeah yeah that was a that was a bit of a gruesome one yeah seriously and then on the on the other end of that he has this line where he says that he's never seen someone uh i've never seen or heard a person who was lying yell affirmatively i didn't do it while pounding his fist on the table Hmm. right i thought that was really an interesting thing to call out that people who are innocent will do those big gestures right like no i didn't do this right but because it feels like a huge injustice probably to them if someone's being accused of that oh yeah i'm sure yeah but the people who are guilty won't have that level of emphasis right going along with what they're saying they might say i didn't do it i didn't do it but like they're not yeah there's none of the body language correlations with that exactly yeah so they might yell it but they won't have that those crazy emphatic gestures and that's where you get kind of the both the synchrony and the emphasis right the body language has to match what they're saying and then there has to be kind of like generally a level of emphasis denotes truth yeah right where people will be more expressive when they're not hiding something and when they are they're going to be generally less expressive right yeah Yeah. exactly anything else we should Um, wrap up on here I think it's a very useful book. Yeah, this is one of the most like practical books that I think we've done. I mean, a lot of them have been practical, but this one has just like, I mean, when you read it, you'll see it's just tons of like the whole book is useful takeaways. Yeah. Like, it's almost like what should like, you not highlight? You know, that's like, the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, compared to a book like Denial of Death. Right. Right. Which is you much know. more philosophical, gives you tons of things to think about. Yeah. So does this, but less like day to day actionable things. <laughs> right. You're not going to apply it in your day to day interactions. Whereas with this, it definitely affects how you think about your interactions with people around right. you. It's pretty cool. Both of them make you think. They do make you think. But, mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in j- just different ways. Yeah. So that was. What Everybody is Saying by Joe Navarro. 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 Whichever it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've got all the show notes in your podcasting app. Yep. Or you can go to majorthinkpodcast.com. Find them there. Uh, as well as links to all the other episodes. I think this one is 22, 23. Something like that. Something like that. 24. <laughs> it's hard. You know, It's in the 20s. Yeah, it's in the 20s. <laughs> uh, Early 20s. Check out every other episode. You can get on the mailing list. Find out about future episodes and giveaways and bonus material. We are going to be better about sending emails. Actually, by the time you hear this, we would have already been better about sending emails. It's true. You would have missed a lot of emails. Yeah. And you don't want to miss more emails. Yeah. So you should really you should go sign up. <laughs> yeah, you definitely should. Go to support. Majorthinkpodcast.com slash support and help your friends neil and nat continue doing this show uh obviously everything that we have up there is stuff that we use and all the books that we've mentioned from the episode and literally anything that you buy on amazon if you click through from our link we get a cut of that doesn't cost you anything extra yep uh just just cost jeff bezos a little bit it's all right it's all good he's got a hundred billion dollars so out of their advertising budget yeah exactly yeah (laughs) they'll be okay yeah and i think uh if you have any feedback, thoughts, recommendations, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Nat Eliason. I'm at the real Neil S. You can find us there. Thank you to everyone who has been hitting us up on Twitter. It's yeah, fun having those conversations. We love it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it might take us a couple of days because we have to like remember what exactly you're referencing. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, people sometimes tweet as they're listening, right? And they'll be yeah. like, oh, you mentioned this example. And I'm like, when was that? Yeah, we recorded that a month that ago. That was like man. a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I have to go back and like figure out what exactly 
exactly I was talking about. Also, not everything I say is right. So something sometimes you might be confused because I'm straight up wrong about something. Yeah. That, <laughs> so <laughs> what? That's the other thing is people have emailed us. Yeah. From episodes, right? Like oh, uh, I love those. Those, those really are really good ones. Yeah. yeah. We had somebody email us about uh, I think from Goldlusher Bach. We yeah. talked about you know could a program detect a strange loop? And somebody emailed us about the halting problem. Yeah. Which I didn't know of at the time. That was really cool. But then it was a great explanation. Yeah. And then it came up in denial of death. Yeah. Or in uh, no, Darwin's uh, dangerous yes. idea. Yep. I was like, oh, cool. Now I like so cool know that. this thing. Yeah. Right. So, it was cool yeah, that. You, um, yeah. I mean, it was cool that he took the time to write that big explanation too, because it was really helpful for yeah. us. And we were genuinely so we curious. Email, and then we got in conversation with him. And yeah, so definitely feel free to hit us up on Twitter, email. You have to find our emails, but it's not that hard. To it's find. not that hard. No, you're, you're, you're all smart, thoughtful <laughs> people. You can figure it out. If you Google us. Yeah, you probably could find our email with very little difficulty. Here's, here's a really simple heuristic. If somebody has a URL with their name, <laughs> their first name at that URL is probably a pretty safe. Net. Although, isn't your name Nate Nathaniel? Nate, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know how you get that all the time? Are like you fucking kidding me? You know, <laughs> you know how you get that all the time? I get though. that all the time. Hey, Nate. <laughs> yeah, well, people will email me and they'll email my Nat and Nat Elias an email address and they'll say, hi, Nate. I'm like, are you joking right now? Like, <laughs> Okay, and here's what not to do. I got an email yesterday or no, two days ago from someone who emailed me at my personal, like Neil at, now I'm just giving my email, Neil at NeilSody.com. And they said, dear editor. On the, I was Amazing. like, are you like you emailed? First of all, you're on a personal website. NeilSody.com is not a company. It's not yeah. a blog. I mean, it is a blog, but it's a personal blog. Yeah, it's not a, like a professional blog of any kind. There's no fucking editor. <laughs> and well, you I, emailed me. My right. name is in the email. It's not like you emailed hello at NeilSody.com. Yeah, exactly. You emailed Neil at Neil. <laughs> Dude, I get I get those too, and they'll say they'll say like dear, uh, you know, something like dear they'll say dear nat but then they'll say we'd like to contribute an article to yeah like nataliason.com i'm like are you joking right did you take 10 seconds to look and see if there were any other guest posts sometimes it's like a legit person too or i might be not maybe not a legit person but a legit site that says yeah. oh i'm a like contributor on this site but that's because they're just they're just saying they're a contributor they might have done like one guest post because that happened to me this week too. Not the dear editor person. This person put my name. Pro but tip: I, I Anybody like, can be a contributor on Huffington Post. Well, and I was also just like, why would you want to do a guest post on my personal blog? Like, what would that do for you? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, please don't email us if you're trying to get a guest post on our personal. Blog, yeah, on our yeah. personal blog. Yeah. This is not going to happen. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah leave, a review. leave a review. Leave a review for sure. Anywhere uh, else? Yeah. Are there other places to leave reviews? I think Stitcher. You can leave reviews. Okay. Maybe an Overcast. I don't think you can in Pocket Casts. But there's probably other places to leave reviews. Leave reviews wherever you can leave reviews. Yeah, you can make uh, a Yelp page for us and leave a review there. I, <laughs> I assume that's a thing. <laughs> no, the iTunes ones help us just show up as a recommended podcast. And then, um, yeah, it's just that it's helpful from that. People search for authors and books and stuff. Then they can find the podcast. Yeah. And it's also for, you know, when we want to bring guests on, it helps to have reviews on there. It makes us look more legit. So they yeah. know that y'all are out there listening to us. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah cool. I think uh, uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think that's uh that's it. So, right. uh, till next time. You all. We'll see you next time.